Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. When we were kind of like brainstorming for this uh, summer series, I said we should all have our own entrance music whenever we come up. Or maybe we should have somebody that's uh, in the red corner, but I really don't want y'all to know how much I weigh. So... So, how's everybody doing today? We got a packed house today. Wasn't that phenomenal? Wasn't that worship phenomenal? I just love it. So, Pastor Josh got up here last week and shared about his favorite wrestler. But I hate to tell you, the, the era of wrestling that he was talking about is not the best era of wrestling there was, okay? When, when I was in middle school... When I was in middle school, this is mid to late 90s, 95, 96, 97, 98. That's the best era of wrestling ever right there. And I had a ton of favorite wrestlers because let me tell you, I was in it. I knew the storylines. I watched three times a week. I watched the pay-per-views. I was in it. And one of my favorite wrestlers was a guy named Mick Foley. So Mick Foley is his, as we would call his government name, but that's not what he wrestled by. He had a lot of characters. He was Cactus Jack, who was this guy that was from Arizona, like this desert wanderer guy. He had Dude Love, who was this, he wore, he wore tie-dyed trousers, and he was kind of like a hippie. And then he had his most famous character, a guy named Mankind. And the only way to describe Mankind is he was just crazy, right? He was just crazy. But Mick Foley, from a kid, wanted to be a famous wrestler. But see, he had something going against him. You know, most wrestlers, they're tall, they're athletic, they're strong. He had none of that. He was just a very, very average guy. But he had a dream. He had a dream, and he wasn't going to let his circumstance stop him from achieving that dream. While he wasn't tall, he wasn't strong, he wasn't athletic, he did have one thing going for him. He could take a beating. He was willing to get hit in the face with a chair, willing to get body slammed on the concrete, willing to do whatever it takes to make his dream come true. In fact, they even created a championship belt for him called the Hardcore Championship. But his most famous match happened in the summer of 1998 on pay-per-view against The Undertaker. I love, I love wrestling characters because you can just say their name and you know what they're about. It's great. But this match was called the hell in a cell. Hell in a cell. And he wanted so much for this to be the most memorable match of wrestling of his career that he was willing to go and wrestle inside a 20-foot steel cage. Not only was he willing to wrestle inside of it, they were going to wrestle on top of it. Not only was they going to wrestle on top of the cage, he was going to get thrown off the cage, not once, but twice. He said, you can throw me off the cage, and then I'll climb back up there, and then you can throw me off again. He was willing to go through whatever it took to see his dream come through. And he's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame because of what he was willing to go through. What dreams do you have? What dreams are inside of you? I know I've talked about dreams a lot from this stage, but because it's important. Because it's important. When I say dreams, you could swap out the word aspirations. What aspirations do you have? 
What things are you trying to achieve in your life? Individually, do you have individual goals? I have an individual goal of running, I wanna do one of those Tough mutter 5K runs, those Spartan races, not because it's gonna get me any fame or money, not because anybody is going to come to the kingdom because I was willing to do monkey bars and, and crawl in the mud. No, but because I wanna prove to myself that I can do it. Do you have dreams of seeing yourself in a promotion? Do you have dreams of, of getting a, a, a better job? Do you have dreams of graduating from college? What dreams do you have? What dreams do you have for your family? Do you wanna own a home for your family? I mean, that might not get anybody saved. That might not make you famous, but my God, that's important. Do you have a dream of taking your family on a Disney vacation? Man, that's an amazing dream. Yeah, it's expensive. That's why it's a dream. <laughs> Do you have a dream to, to save up the money to put your kids through college? What dreams do you have for your family? What dreams do you have for the kingdom of God? Do you want to be a small group leader? Do you want to be a pastor? Or do you want to see your, your coworker that you love come to Jesus? What dreams do you have for the kingdom of God? And the next question I have, are you willing to pay the cost to see it come through? If you knew what it was going to cost, would you still have the dream? See, if we're going to talk about dreaming in church, you know we got to talk about the dreamer, Joseph, all right? And I find it really interesting that as far as like pages written about Joseph, he's in the top five in the Bible. There is a lot of information about Joseph in the Bible. So I think that means that Joseph's life is important. I think that means that we're really supposed to take lessons from Joseph's life. So we're going to talk today about the biblical dreamer, somebody in the Bible who was all about dreaming. And his story starts in Genesis chapter 37. Jacob, who was Joseph's father, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Joseph was the tattletale kid, all right? He was the goody-goody, all right? You know, every family's got one. Do you guys know who it is in your family? If you don't, it's probably you, so that's, that's okay. We love you all the same. He was the goody-goody. He was the tattletale. He was the one that made sure everybody was following the rules. Yeah, my wife's a rule follower, yes. She's over there embarrassed. But... He was loved. He was loved. It says, now Israel, that's Jacob, that's Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him of his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated them and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? 
Will you actually rule us? And they hated them all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And when he told it to his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph, the goody-goody, the rule follower, the favorite son, comes to all his brothers. His brothers already didn't like him because he was the favorite. And he said, hey, I know you don't like me very much, but I'm going to rule over you. Now, this goes against culture because not only do sons not rule over fathers, but he was the 12th son. He was the last one. He wasn't the firstborn, wasn't the secondborn. He was the lastborn. But God gave him a dream. And his brothers turned to him and say, how dare you? How dare you have this dream? Isn't that what the enemy always says to us? How dare you have this dream? Oh, you dream of owning a home? How dare you have that dream in this housing market right now? Don't you know that you're going to pay way more than the home is worth just because of everything going on? How dare you? Oh, you want to pay for your children to go to college? How dare you have that dream? Don't you know that a college education is not a guarantee of future financial success? Oh, you want to take personal time off of work to be healthy mentally? How dare you? Don't you know that we need you here? Oh, you want to take some time to read your Bible and pray? How dare you? Don't you know that there's laundry to be done, that there's dishes to be washed, that the lawn needs to be mowed? How dare you? Oh, you want to talk to your coworker about Jesus? How dare you? This is a place of work. Oh, you want to lead a small group? Oh, you want to be, a, a, be a, you know, in the leadership of the church? How dare you? Don't you know the sin that you're in? See, the enemy is always going to come and say, how dare you? How dare you have that dream? How dare you have that dream? Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him, but they were stopped by one brother, Reuben. And he said, no, 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 we can't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Now, Reuben was a reasonable guy, you know. He really didn't want him to go into slavery, but he was going to try to get him out. But he was like, hey, you know, let's just, let's just sell him into slavery instead. Let me tell you something. The enemy wants to kill you, but the best he can do is leave you into slavery. He has no power to kill you, but he definitely can tempt you into something. So Joseph was sold into slavery. And he gets taken to Egypt, into this official's house named Potiphar. And while he was there, he was excellent in all he did. I mean, he was so good that Potiphar put him second in charge in his house. He was in charge of making sure everybody got fed, the animals got, got watered, that the bills got paid, that the house was clean. He was in charge of everything. But then that temptation of the official's wife came. See, Joseph was a handsome guy. He was a goody-goody, a goody-two-shoes, but apparently he was ripped, right? <laughs> and she wanted to do bad things. <laughs> so he said, no, 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 I refuse, I refuse. And eventually 
She lies about him. And they said, you got to leave. And they cast him into prison. That's where the enemy wants you to be. He wants you to be in prison. Because if you're in prison, you can't achieve the dreams that the Lord has placed inside your heart. So Joseph was in an actual prison. But what kind of prisons are trapping you? What kind of prisons are you inside right now? See, there's a lot of different prisons. It doesn't just have to be four walls and cell bars. There can be prisons that we build ourselves. The first prison that I was thinking about that we build ourselves is debt. Debt. So Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Did you know that debt is slavery? Biblically speaking, debt is slavery. And let me tell you how it's a prison. Oh, I want to go on the mission field, but I can't because I have too much credit card debt. Oh, I want to start my own business, but I can't because I owe too much in student loans and I can't afford the financial instability of starting my own business. That's a prison preventing you from achieving what it is that you want to achieve. Let me tell you something. Do everything you can to pay off debts. This isn't just about money that you owe someone. It's about freedom that you're losing because you're, you're in debt. This isn't a sermon about money, but let me tell you something. The feeling of freedom that you get when you pay off debt is unlike anything that you can imagine. Charlotte and I, we worked our tails off to get out of debt. Uh, and let me tell you, it has freed us up to be so much more uh, able to do the things that we want to do. Financial freedom of having no debt is an amazing feeling, y'all. So debt is a prison, but also sin is a prison. Galatians 3.22, it says, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Addictions, unrighteousness, anger issues, sexual immorality. All these things are prisons that prevent you from achieving the dreams that are inside of your life. So when I was about 24 years old, my family had the opportunity to go on a vacation of a lifetime. We were going to England. We we're going to go to Scotland, to London, do all this kind of stuff. We're going to be over there for almost two weeks. And you would think that a 24-year-old kid getting a paid vacation over, overseas, you know, spending no money, I would be excited. Well, let me tell you something. My addictions trap me. And I spent two weeks over there miserable, detoxing off of drugs, trying to, trying to do anything I can to relieve myself. I couldn't appreciate it because I was trapped in a prison. A dream vacation wasted on a 24-year-old drunkie. Addictions are a prison. Anger issues are a prison. If you go through life angry, you're never going to experience the peace. You're never going to experience the freedom. You're never going to experience the best that the Lord has for you. Sexual immorality, that is a prison. And let me tell you, I've, I, you know, 
you're in conservative, I mean, you're in, you're in on Twitter, you, you know, people don't like the word purity anymore. But let me tell you something, that is there to help you. Purity is there for you. It's there to protect you. It's not there to trap you. It's not there to, to shame you. It's not just saying, oh, don't do this so that you can look better. No, purity is there so that you can protect your heart. Purity is there so that you can protect your body. Purity is a gift from the Lord. So we get trapped in debt. We get trapped in sin, but we also get trapped by our pasts. Your past can act as an anchor around your neck, dragging you down. I know that if I said, you know, the, the expression, expression an albatross across your neck, most people would understand what I'm saying because it, that's what our past is. It's, uh, it's something that weighs us down. It's something that prevents us from going there. I can't go into leadership at a church because of my past. I can't go and lead a small group because of my past. I can't go and get involved into a small group because of my past. Your past is there, is, will be used by the enemy to prevent you from going after what it is that you have. So we have prisons that we built, but we also have prisons that others have built around us. You know, Pastor Josh was just talking about the power in the tongue. You know, words that can be spoken over you, they can be good or bad words that can be a prison. Before I came out here to go to Bible college, a, a person who I really trust, my, my mentor, he goes, you know, I just see you as a children's pastor. And so I came out to Bible college thinking, well, that was the word that was spoken over me. I'm going to be a children's pastor. So I sought out opportunities to be involved in children's ministry. I fully thought that I was going to go and major in children's ministry. Yes, hey, how's it going? Uh, <laughs> but let me tell you something. Not only was I bad at it, but I didn't enjoy it. But I thought that was the word that was spoken over me. So I thought, that's what I, I, I got to figure out a way to love this because this is going to be my life. That was until I got a different word spoken over me. But you can also be told things like you're not good enough. You'll never amount to nothing. You can't graduate from college. Don't you know our family? Nobody's ever graduated from college in our family. That's a prison that somebody is speaking over you. Proverbs 18, 21 says the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love, the, love to talk will reap the consequences. You can also be trapped in prison by things that have been done to you. Unforgiveness, lack of trust, insecurities, injury, all these things are come from things that people have done to us. And it can trap you. It can keep you from going after the things that you want in your life. And the last kind of thing that I want to bring up about prisons that people have built is church hurt. So we talk about this a lot. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big conversation. Oh, I was just really hurt at my last church. You know, and I think that there are, there are people that do do things that hurt because you want to know why? Because the church is full of people and people are imperfect. But let me tell you something. As your pastor, if I ever tell you something, it's only to help you. 
It's only to help you. Maybe I don't say it well, but I only say it because I want you to be better because I want your life to be that life and life more abundant that God has for you. Listen to this, Hebrews 12, verses seven through 11. It says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best that they knew how. We are doing the best we know how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in this holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. When a leader in your life, when somebody is trying to speak into your life and they say something that hurts, it's not there to hurt you. It's there to help you have that harvest of right living that the Bible is talking about. Discipline turns into hurt when we choose not to grow from it. When you allow that to fester, that's when it turns into hurt. But when you say, okay, maybe they didn't say it well. Maybe they didn't come across right. But I understand that you're trying to help me. And I want to live the life that God has for me. Don't allow discipline to turn into hurt in your life. And the last kind of prison that I want to talk about is prison of circumstance. Things like generational curses. Broken homes. Disadvantages compared to others. You see, all these things are real. All these things actually happen. Generational curses are real, but it's not the end. It does not have to be the end of your story. Oh, well, my father was an alcoholic, so I'm going to be an alcoholic. That does not have to be your story. Oh, I come from a broken home. That means my marriage is doomed. That does not have to be your story. Oh, I am at a disadvantage compared to others. That does not have to be where it ends. You know, I'm, I'm learning a lot these days, and I repent for not knowing this better, but me as a white man have had advantages in my life that other people haven't, and I understand that that is, that is the reality of things. And like I said, I'm learning, I'm growing, and I repent for not knowing that sooner. But your adversity is something that can bring you down or it can be the thing that is the catalyst for you to achieve more. Instead of thinking of this stuff as something that is going to stop me from achieving, think of it as something that is going to empower you to achieve. My prison is not something that's going to keep me down, but rather I'm going to excel in spite of what I've been through. So I bring up these things to help you understand that we're all going through stuff. Everybody is going through stuff. What are you going to do with it? Are you willing to pay the cost to get through it, to see your dream come to life? You see, Joseph was locked up. He was in a prison, not of his own doing. It was a prison of circumstance. Maybe it was his own doing. He was kind of a jerk to his brothers. 
But says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. See, Joseph was in prison, but he didn't stop loving the Lord. And let me tell you something. Eventually, he gets released from prison because he helps people. So the story goes on. Joseph is in prison, and there's two people that offend the Pharaoh and get sent to prison. His personal baker and his personal cupbearer or butler. It says both, that he was both of them. And they come into the prison, and they have these dreams that they don't know how to interpret. So Joseph says, well, I can interpret dreams for you. And the cupbearer shares his dream. And Joseph says, the interpretation is, is in three days, you'll be restored to your position. But when you get up there, remember me. Remember that I'm not here from my own doing. I'm here because of circumstance. And the baker goes, ooh, 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 do mine next, do mine next. And he shares his dream. And Joseph said, here's the interpretation. In three days, you're going to be hung and you're going to be killed. And it happens, and it comes to pass. And later down the road, the Pharaoh has a dream. And he says, who can interpret the dream for him? And the cupbearer says, I know a man who can interpret dreams. And he calls him out of prison. And Joseph is able to interpret the dream for him. And Joseph eventually gets placed in a position of leadership and his dream comes to pass because he was willing to help somebody else with their dream. So what can you do to break out of your prison? What can you do to be free? Well, I think that there's two things to see yourself free. You need to love God and you need to serve others. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28, says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered and said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said, do this and you will live. Do this and you will see your dreams come true. So we want to love God and serve others. So I know that there are probably really accurate interpretations of what heart, soul, mind, and strength means. I know that there's people who probably studied the, the original language, but I'm going to give you the Emlyn Bailey. I'm from Alabama, and this is what I'm saying, interpretation of what it means to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with your heart. Love God with your effort. So we were at, uh, Charlotte and I were out to dinner last night at a uh, Asian food slash sports bar. I know that's an awesome combination. But there was some UFC fights on, and it was like, and it was like the first fight of the night, okay? And so these are guys that are not very good. But you, you had one guy that was really in it, and then you had one guy who just really wasn't putting forth the effort. You would say his heart wasn't in it. If your heart's in it, you're willing to put the effort in it. 
we associate the heart with love, with emotion. But let me tell you something. When, when Charlotte and I were dating and we had that, that love, I mean, we were putting in some effort. We would drive, both drive 30 minutes to meet in the middle so that we could hang out. You know, we were putting in effort to be together. Your heart is not just about emotion. It's about effort. But your soul, your soul is about your emotions. So loving God with your effort, taking the time, taking the time, putting the time in. I mean, you're here today. That's awesome. But are you there tomorrow? Are you putting an effort tomorrow? And I understand that for me to say you guys need to wake up an hour early and seek the Lord is unrealistic and it's doomed to fail. But will you wake up five minutes early? Will you go ahead and set your alarm five minutes early, take a shower, eat breakfast, brush your teeth, and spend five minutes reading your Bible tomorrow? And then when you drive home from work and you pull into the driveway, will you turn off your car and turn off, maybe not turn off the car, leave the air conditioning on, it's hot, but turn off the music and spend five minutes speaking to your father. Will you put forth the effort to love God? The next thing it says is love God with your soul. It means love God with your emotions. So this is something that I've definitely needed to work on because if you've seen me, I'm like an old oak tree in the back that's been sitting there for 15 years. I'm just, I'm consistent, but I'm, you know, not really in it, you know. Uh, but what emotions are we talking about? If you're angry, express anger to the Lord. If you're happy, express your joy to the Lord. If you're sad, express your sadness to the Lord. If you're frustrated, express it to the Lord. Let me tell you something. All these emotions that you feel are emotions that Jesus put on as a man and experienced when he came to earth. The Bible says that he wept. The Bible, he laughed. He enjoyed time with his friends. He got angry. All these emotions are what God is asking you to express to him. So love God with your effort. Love God with your emotions. Love God with your mind. What are you putting into your mind? What are you putting, what are you inputting? What shows are you watching? What books are you reading? What music are you listening to? You see, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who says, oh, we should not do anything but Christian music, Christian book. That, that's, not our, that's not our house. We don't do that. But there's certainly things that we start watching that we say, this is not good for our mind. And I need to turn it off. When I'm on TikTok, yes, I use TikTok. I know, laugh, okay? But when I'm on TikTok, sometimes I'm scrolling through and there are things that I'm like, this is not good for my mind. And I have to make a conscious decision to say, am I going to watch it or am I going to choose to keep my mind, to love the Lord with my mind, to love God what I'm putting in my mind? What books are you reading? I mean, fiction is awesome and and even watching things that are fun, that makes you laugh, that's healing. But you don't want to look out for your own enjoyment at the detriment of, of honoring the Lord and what you're doing. So love God with your effort, with your emotions, with what you're putting in, and love God with your strength. Love God with your actions. Love God with your actions. What are you doing to express your love to the Lord? So we love God, but we also serve others.
We also serve others. And I hear the objections now. You mean I'm in a prison? You mean I'm going through literal hell right now and you're asking me to serve others? The answer is yes. And the reason is this. Because when you begin to serve others, you begin to realize that maybe my problem is still big, but not quite as big as I thought it was. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's not always about you. And I say that in love. I say that because when we take the focus off of ourself, we're able to see a bigger, bigger picture in things. When I used to go to uh, mission trips to Asia, I went um, to Malaysia and there's this apostle there. I've told this story before, but it's just so amazing. And, and I was talking to him. He's started he doesn't even know how many churches he started in these indigenous people in Malaysia. And his name is Pastor Stephen. And, and I said, Pastor Stephen, you know, how do you, how do, you do all this? You, you, you do so much. And he said, well, I used to be depressed and I used to feel sorry for myself. But then I just started praying for people and, t- and telling people about the gospel. And I realized that they're going through a lot more than I'm going through. And my problem isn't that big. I've never forgotten that little bit of input that he gave is that when you begin to give of yourself, your problem begins to look a lot smaller. So when you love God, when you serve others, doors begin to open up for you. You begin to see a way out of the prison that you're in. And I can prove this to you in the Bible. So in Acts chapter 16... We have Paul and Silas locked up for casting out a demon-possessed uh, uh, little girl who was demon-possessed. They were in prison, not on their own fault. But it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were loving God with their effort. They were loving God with their emotions. They were loving God with their actions. They didn't care where they were. It says that they were in stocks. They had their hands and their feet, maybe even their head, like chained up. And they were sitting and probably sitting in feces and urine. And they were loving God in that moment. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. So they were free. They, they had a clear exit out the door. And the keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But call, Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm. We are all here. He was locked up, not because of anything he did. The door was right there. He could have walked free but he was looking to serve others. Then he called. Then the man called for light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? So he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed God with all his household. Now, the Bible doesn't say Paul had this dream, but you can't convince me that Paul's dream was not to see every man saved. Right. 
So when Paul, when they loved God with their effort, with their actions, with their mind, with their emotion, and when they sought to serve others, not only were they released from their prison, but they also began to see their dreams come true. So what dreams do you have? Maybe they've grown cold. Maybe you've been in a prison so long that the dream isn't even a reality to you anymore. Well, let me tell you something. God is in the resurrection business. God wants to resurrect dead dreams in your life. Maybe you're in prison and you might have a dream, but you don't see a breakthrough for it. Well, let me tell you something. Freedom is important to the Lord. He wants to see you be free. He wants to see you let go. So Charlotte, come up here. So we, we want to share a personal story about, about a, a prison that we were going through. Uh, about in uh, May of 2020, we got, I got sent home to work from home just like most of the world did. And I already didn't like my job, but that job became a prison. It became something that began to kill dreams. And there were many times where I was in that prison and I was doing nothing but cussing and crying and feeling sorry for myself. But Charlotte and I, we said, when 2021 happened, we said, this is going to be our best year ever. This is going to be our best year ever. And we sought to love God and we sought to serve others. And let me tell you something, God resurrected a dream inside of us. And I got a call from my mentor who works at a teen challenge in Alabama. And he said that there's an opening for a job of a director of a teen challenge in Alabama. And we felt like that was the Lord opening a door for us to go to Alabama. So this is our last Sunday here uh, at Overflow Church. We're gonna be moving to Alabama next week to go and be the directors of a teen challenge in Alabama.